Welcome back to another edition of Clover and Nets. My name is Eli Lerman. And I am Luke. And here's what we have for you on today's episode. The Nuggets and Heat both go up 3-0 in their respective series, which means both the Lakers and Celtics would have to make his make history and come back from what has been a historically insurmountable deficit. Uh, obviously, we're going to start with some game recaps, just like every episode. Uh, Nuggets-Lakers Game 3. Luke, what do you have for me? Game 3 was to me and i think to many people kind of the nail in the coffin obviously this is a game that you know by by nba rules you don't need to win but it was a must win Lakers and denver go back to la go back to the crypto arena and it's just it's another game where it feels pretty balanced it's back and forth you know quarter to quarter you get to the fourth quarter and yet again the denver nuggets just win the fourth quarter just like the game uh, prior. And yet that's kind of to me the biggest difference of the game was they just continued to close out better. But I will say there were some red flags across the entire game too that didn't really set them up uh, for success. D'Lo, who is one of my favorite players, shot one for eight and was pretty much, I mean, just inexistent offensively. Just wasn't there. You can't have a guy like D'Andre Russell, based on the money you're paying him and the role you've given him, shooting one for eight in pretty much a, a do-or-die game. You just can't. He had three points total on the night, playing, I don't even know how many minutes, but well over 30 minutes, I'm, I'm, I could assume, not even looking. You just can't have that. LeBron James shooting eight for 19, which isn't the complete uh, end of the world. However, I at least expect something a little bit better from efficiency-wise. And I'm still just not a big fan of his shot selection down the stretch. He he keeps making these, or not making, that's the issue, taking and not making these awkward threes. And it's just setting up the Lakers for, for failure, uh, especially in the fourth quarter where you see him taking a lot of threes. I think at times he might be taking these to try to compensate for the lack of offense. But I just don't think that's the way to do it, especially because it's just not falling right now. You could say that maybe um, it's because he's playing hurt. Whatever the case may be, it's not falling. It's not a good shot. Um, And I think that's something that he needs to accept and try to work around. And if he keeps taking it, I just don't I don't see how they're going to have a functional fourth quarter, because on the other side, we're seeing Denver have a very, a very nice offense, even the fourth quarter, because obviously by the time the fourth quarter comes around, Players are gas, things like that. But they don't stop in terms of like ball movement and motion. That's still all four quarters. Denver's moving that ball around, making the extra pass, finding the guys, and they're hitting their shots. LA can't say the same, and that's why we see them down 0-3 and having to win four games in a row, which is something that has never been done in NBA playoff history. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, there's not much to say for the Lakers. I have two things for them. Um, you know, the first thing is Anthony Davis seems absolutely gassed. Uh, you know, obviously in Game 3, he had 28 and 18 rebounds, uh, which which sounds like a monster game. But down the stretch, he looked tired, uninterested, and was completely uninvolved in the Lakers' offense. And I think that's a sign of the wear and tear on his body. You know, I think that we've seen that progressively in the playoffs from certain stars who do a lot of the heavy lifting on offense and defense. Uh, and we're starting to see it on AD. Uh, and then you, you said a bunch about D'Lo. I just want to kind of go like into 
how bad D'Lo has really been. He's shooting under 30% from the floor and 19% from three. Uh, he only played 20 minutes Saturday. And, you know, obviously his performance would be bad even if he wasn't a free agent. But he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. And there's absolutely no guarantee that he will be extended by the Lakers after this perform- after these performances. Uh, you know, it's not a stretch to see scenarios where other point guards join the Lakers. You know, Chris Paul, Kyrie. Uh, and, you know, specifically, obviously, if the Suns don't see a future together, I think it's more likely that Chris Paul joins than the Lakers do just based off of the Suns mm. season. Um, but, you know, the situation facing Russell is not only is he playing for his playoff life right now, but his Laker life as, as well. Uh, and then, you know, for the Nuggets, uh, the help finally carries Jokic. Right, Jamal Murray with 37 points. I believe he had 30 in the first half. Contavious Caldwell-Pope with 17 points. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. with 14 points. Bruce Brown with 15 off the bench. And then Aaron Gordon really holding things down as a defensive anchor once again. Um, we've been waiting for huge performances from Jamal Murray in the first half. right? Solidifying himself as the go-to guy for offensively in a game early on and it finally happened in this series and Jamal Murray exploded I mean he might have had, yeah I think he had 17 in the first quarter like the first like eight minutes of the first quarter uh it was it was a lot of fun to watch I'm a LeBron guy but I'm a Celtics fan so I hate the Lakers so ultimately I want to see the Nuggets win this series but I don't want to see the Lakers go out without winning a single game without throwing a single punch uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I. I also just don't want to see the media trolling on LeBron and AD for uh, losing in a in a sweep. I just think that it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Um, Luke, unless you got anything else, I'm going to let you take the uh, Miami Heat segment here. Yeah, sure. No, um, that's about it. I will say you brought up the uh, the minutes. I I didn't realize that he played so few minutes in comparison to what we've seen historically with them obviously being a starter i forgot that um i'm kind of just yanked him because he was doing so bad which makes sense i mean if you're just doing that bad uh time to hit the road sit on the bench but yeah that's all i got for that series so yeah moving on to miami versus boston uh very very similar um very similar storylines and uh paths uh parallels with these two series so um boston Goes back to Miami being 0-2, similar to LA going back to their home, uh, or Miami going back to their home court up 2-0. Um, it's just another, it's just another ugly series, uh, another ugly game for him where we see, um, what was it? It was Tatum and Jalen Brown combining for 36 points, and that, to me, honestly, that's something that one of them should achieve by themselves, honestly. And it just, not to get redundant, but it just seems like um, it just seems like another another night where Boston just doesn't understand the the importance, like the severity of the situation. You know, they seem dead. They seem tired. They seem uninterested, disengaged. I don't know what word you want to use, but last night it was sad because you know you know what they're what they're capable of um, when they're playing at at full capacity in terms of. Uh, their effort and all the things like that that go into it but they just weren't playing like that they weren't playing well like that uh malcolm brogdon someone that i i've always been a big fan of uh back going back to his day is on milwaukee 
another guy, similar D'Lo, where a guard that just has no impact on the game, it felt like he went out there, two assists, no points, didn't make a single field goal attempt. Yeah, you just can't have that. Um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, obviously they're the leaders. They have a much bigger role. At least you can kind of excuse Malcolm Brogdon a little bit. They have the, the biggest roles in the team, and they definitely come up short. I'm sure you'll talk about that. Um, Al Horford kind of waking up the beast there. Jimmy returning the favor, throwing that the timeout sign at him. Um, I mean, it was sad. It was. It's honestly really sad. I'm, I'm disappointed to see the way that Boston's going out because I don't, I don't see them coming back same way. I don't see LA coming back anymore. Obviously, I mean, you have to win four in a row. It's just not looking good. I mean, it looks like they they kind of called the series two games ago, Boston. It, it's sad, but um, yeah, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the series. Yeah, uh, I'll get to the comeback part eventually. Uh, Magic Johnson tweeted last night. In my 44 years of being associated with the NBA, I never thought I'd see a Boston Celtics team, a franchise with 17 championships, quit. I know Celtics fans all over the world must be disgusted and devastated. And then directly following that tweet was from uh, NBC Sports Boston, a quote from Joe Mazzulla that says, I didn't have them ready to play. That's on me. Uh, you know, first thing is uh, Magic Johnson pretty much described it. I mean, that was one of the worst nights of my life in terms of feeling for basketball. Uh, I, I mean, my heart was like in my balls. Like it was bad. Like it was just like it. Yeah. I mean, it was the most disappointing loss outside of game six against the Warriors last year that I've experienced as a Celtics fan, just because the expectations were so high this year, uh, specifically coming into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep moving on. Uh, you know, Jalen Brown said, we let our fan base organization down. It's just embarrassing. Uh, you know, I don't think that losing the game would have let the fan base down if they didn't lose, like you said, with what seemed like the worst effort imaginable. Mm. Uh, they started the game actually in a pretty decent rhythm. Jalen Brown had like 10 points really quick, and the Heat called a timeout when Kevin Love uh, jammed his back up a little bit, and then instantly it fell apart. Like like instantly, it was it was so ridiculous. Out of that timeout, the Heat went on a 1,000 to 50 run in what felt like five minutes, and then that was the game because the Celtics could never recover. Um, they allowed the Heat to shoot 56.8% from the floor, 54% from three, uh, and then, you know, n almost none of that damage was done by Jimmy Butler, but all of Miami's role players. Uh, you know, uh, there's been a theme this year with the whole Miami's undrafted players, right? Uh, Gabe Vincent, to put just to put into perspective, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's struggles last night. Gabe Vincent scored twenty nine points. Tatum and Brown combined for twenty six. Um, you know, they were combined nine of twenty four, one for seven from three, with five turnovers and zero free throw attempts in the first half. In the first half, and that nine of twenty four. Jalen Brown made like seven of those nine shots. Uh, I mean, you know, Jalen Brown was 0 for 7 from beyond the behind the arc in the in the game total, and he's now 2 for 20 from three point range in this series. 
outside of the negativity, uh, I know I'm going to sound really corny because I'm a Celtics fan. On paper, this is probably the best opportunity ever for a team to come back down 0-3. The presumed talent gap between the teams, plus having two out of the potential three final games at home, is a combo the NBA has never seen before. And I want to say I'm not predicting this will happen, but on paper, I just felt like I should point out this is probably the best opportunity that has ever existed for it to happen in the NBA. And then just a few things I noted for the Celtics uh, if they really want to win four games in a row. Uh, Second thing, start Derek White and Robert Williams and go away from Al Horford in the starting five. The perimeter success they've had with this lineup has been much better due to Al Horford's shooting struggles, and defensively, it provides provides much more comfortable matchups off of switching screens and just allows better versatility in general. Uh, also on off, like also on offense, uh, the high ball screens with Robert Williams and Jason Tatum against the Miami zone were working really well in uh, game two, and I think that they can expose that again if they if they start this lineup. Um, they need to make an emphasis on solidifying the rhythm in the offense with the Jays, uh, on the first possession, specifically when Jimmy Butler or Caleb Martin is defending Jason or Jalen and putting either of them in the pick and roll. Uh, you know, it was effective in games one and two for stretches, and then they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. They need to expose that again. They need to take advantage of that. And then I think the next thing would be play small ball with Grant Williams at the five, His ability to stretch the floor and bang with Bam down low has given the Celtics an edge on both ends for stretches of games two and three. Obviously, game three stretches sounds pretty stupid considering the final score, but, uh, you know, I think that they need to take advantage of it, right? Grant Williams plays with an edge always. He's on the floor, he's spacing the floor, and he's always, you know, talking smack to somebody, and that's the energy we need right now, right? Something to energize the guys. Uh, And then the last thing that the Celtics obviously need to do is they cannot roll over regardless of all the media BS, the trolling, the talking heads like Stephen A and Charles Barkley until the Miami heat are at fucking four wins in the series. It is not over. Do not go out without throwing one punch, two punches, three punches, fight and scrap with everything you have for this franchise until that fourth punch ends with the Celtics win. They cannot afford to go out like this. There is so much at stake this offseason. If they lose like this, does Jalen Brown sign that Supermax? Is he even interested in doing that? Uh, you know, how much money does Grant Williams request, right? He hasn't played this much that much in the playoffs, uh, but that doesn't mean his value is necessarily going to go down with other contending teams, right? There's a lot at stake here, and they need to realize that it's not just about losing in the playoffs and not making the finals. It's about the future of the organization. And, you know, I- I'm I'm not going to say that I'm optimistic, but I am not going to watch any of these games, these upcoming games, and just go into it thinking that the series is over. Uh, because if we have that mindset, then I think it's going to be a hive mindset right and the Celtics players are going to think that the coaches are going to think that and then eventually and you know already when most of the NBA thinks that it's not a good mix um mm-hmm. but uh yeah that's that's what I have for the uh Celtics uh on a more not necessarily positive but uh more upbeat Carmelo Anthony officially announced his retire actually before we move on Luke do you have anything to say about what I just said um 
not necessarily we have to say, but I will say for Celtics fans, you want to be optimistic. Um, back in 2004, because I'm a big baseball fan, back in 2004, the uh, Boston Red Sox found themselves in ALCS down three games to nothing, around right before the World Series. Mm, mm. And they came back and won four with David Ortiz um, kind of waking up and leading the way. So it, it's been done before in Boston sports. It's been done before. It's so not. Give uh, up the, yeah, I. you know, it's statistically it's never happened. That does not mean that it is impossible. Miracles happen every single day in every single category and subcategory of life. A miracle can happen for the Celtics as well. If mm-hmm. they win, when we win game four, not if, when we win game four in Miami, it needs to be a strong win where Miami is taken out of rhythm. It can't be a game that's really close both teams are in rhythm the whole time and you know the Celtics just come out on top it needs to be a strong win where Miami seems out of rhythm offensively and defensively because then it takes them out of rhythm for the next game the Celtics can't afford to keep Miami in the rhythm in in this rhythm right everything is clicking for them and I give so much credit to the Heat for the way they're playing I hate Miami with all of my heart uh but you know they are playing a beautiful brand of basketball on both ends of the floor right now and you know it's hard it's hard to criticize them right now with the way they're playing right um mm-hmm. but you know it's not it's just not impossible it's not impossible and i think that's one of the things that a lot of celtics fans all across the uh earth need to hear is that it's not impossible it can happen and i you know i'm not gonna say it's going to happen but man do i want it to happen so bad so so bad uh, you know, do you have anything else before we move on? No, that's good. We can move on. All right. Yeah. So, Carmelo Anthony officially announces his retirement from basketball. Uh, his career averages were 22.5 points, 6 rebounds. He shot 45% from the field and 35% from three. He was a 10 times NBA All-Star. He was a, you know, member of the 75th NBA anniversary team. A one-time NBA scoring champion. All-rookie first team. Two All-NBA second-team selections. Four All-NBA third-team selections. He won an NCAA championship with Syracuse in college. He was a one-times NBA Social Justice Champion Award, a three-times gold medalist, and a two-times Male NBA Athlete of the Year. So, you know, outside of the championships, Luke, do you think that is a Hall of Fame resume? You know, I am going to say yes. Because, I mean... His level of scoring was was amongst some of the best that we've ever ever seen, and I mean, I I, I definitely got to witness it a lot more and kind of see his impact a lot more due to being uh, over here in North Jersey, where obviously growing up, everyone had a Carmelo uh, un- un- uh, jersey. Even if they weren't a Knicks fan, it was just like it was a cool thing. It was like it was a local guy, just a, a just a pure bucket getter. Um, you know, people can criticize his defense and things like that, but. My, my argument to that would be how many people are going to end up in the Hall of Fame that weren't known or uh, good defense. Um, I mean, no, just a just a great offensive player. Uh, was was great really up until until he started getting pushed around in his veteran days. But up until there, like in Denver and the Knicks, gave us amazing basketball to watch um, at a level that. 99.9% of NBA players cannot match past and present. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, I think that he could he'll be he could be one of those guys even now. You know, Jamal Crawford did it. Uh, I think DeMar DeRozan is going to be one of those guys that can just play in any game anywhere and just get like 10, 15 points every game. Like find a way to score, right? There are guys, I mean, he will never not be able to get to his spot, right? Joe Johnson, you know, kind of did the same thing for a while. Uh, just a bucket getter, right? Doesn't play defense, never played defense. Uh, was supremely athletic in his uh, younger days, but just still never really played defense. But could always get a bucket, right? Could always find a way to score. And I think that he could still do that. And I'm kind of curious to see what's happened with the Lakers. Because he was on that roster, I want to say, last year. And, you know, he was injured. And then LeBron was also injured. And, you know, they ne- they didn't they didn't sign him again. And I'm curious to see if the injury had that much effect on his, you know, movement and whatever it is. That just kind of excluded him. Because the year before that, he was with the Blazers and playing well. You know, averaging double-digit points, right? Uh, in, in fact, in the bubble, he was the primary defender on Anthony Davis for a lot of the time. Because he was more athletic than Yusuf Nurkic. But still, you know... There's the whole, you know, him getting, you know, quote-unquote blackballed from the league for a while there with the Rockets and the Thunder stuff. But, you know, he he proved to the league that he can still play with the Blazers, and I'm glad that he got that opportunity. Uh, you know, great career. It's, it's, it's a great resume. I don't know that it will get him into the Hall of Fame, but, you know, he made the 75th NBA anniversary team. So that alone for some people would be enough to convince them that they're in the Hall of Fame. But then again, you know, is Dwight Howard in the Hall of Fame, right? Only had, you know, a few good years with Orlando and then won a chip as a bench big man, not doing a ton. So it's like, and a lot of people think he's a Hall of Famer. So is Melo a Hall of Famer with no rings, but, a, you know, a better career? Who, who knows? Who knows? Um, you know, Luke, unless you have anything else, I think we're going to move on to uh, our favorite segment here on the show. <laughs> Oh, it is my favorite. Uh, just a little quick statement. Yes, Dwight Howard is a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Well, why do you think he's a Hall of Famer? Outside of his Orlando days, even after that, when he went to Houston, things like that, he still had just great years. I mean, uh, he was definitely 100% at, at his best, at his at his physical best, um, the number one center in the league, and held that for, for, for a good amount of time, honestly. Um, I don't think he was always put in the best situations to win. Um, whether that be in Orlando and even uh, a little bit later, like in in Houston, L.A. Definitely, he definitely dropped dropped the ball. And uh, I'll definitely take the side of Kobe there because everyone knows Kobe knows how to win, and um, Kobe doesn't Kobe doesn't lie about things like that. Um, but after seeing the amount of times that Houston fell short, I. I'm not going to put that on, on Dwight Howard. It just, he was a great player, just a great center. Um, you always knew what you're going to get from him. Yeah, absolutely. I still, I, I still think, honestly, he can get close to dropping um, a double double average if you gave him 20, Oof. 25 points per game. That's a tough one for me because his last three years, he averaged 19 minutes, 17 minutes, and 16 minutes. He played 69 games, 69 games, and then 60 games. He averaged seven and a half, and uh, and yeah, he averaged seven and a half points, seven rebounds, seven points, 
eight rebounds and six points, six rebounds. So oh, yeah, so, so I'm okay with that. Though. So yeah, so for a bench big, that production is very solid. The issue is yeah. that was with the Lakers. He only played sixty games last year, and now he is in Taiwan, right? Uh huh. And as the NBA, as the game progresses more and more, these just these ridiculous physical specimens running up and down the floor. I don't know that uh-huh. he can get there, but. Do I think that he could be, you know, a guy who plays like a Luke Cornett role for the Celtics off the bench, right? Like a guy who comes in when there's everybody's in foul trouble and just kind of blocks like a shot or two and doesn't really provide anything on offense, but sets screens and rolls to the rim. And, you know, yeah, I think he could do that. I think that he could be on a roster, but I don't think that he'd be necessarily the most effective bench big anymore. Okay, no, that that's fair. Yeah, I, I will say to clarify, when I say double double, I meant like just hitting it like ten and ten in like twenty five minutes played. I wasn't right. thinking like yeah. you know yeah. sixteen and fourteen or something like of that. Of course, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, so we're gonna move on to our next segment. Uh, last episode, we ended with our top ten centers in the NBA. Today, we are doing power mm-hmm. forwards, and you know. I originally thought I was going to come into this with, you know, three or four honorable mentions. I have quite a few more than that. And I'm curious to see the differences in our list. I want to put a quick disclaimer. You know, different people describe different players as power forwards. So already off the top, I do not have Jason Tatum on my list. I do not think he's a power forward because the Celtics best lineup has always been Al Horford and Robert Williams together. And Jason Tatum is slotted at the three. So I have him at a three. His career, he's played mostly the three. This year was a little bit of an exception, but I'll, I still have him as a three on my list. Um, you know, there's certain guys, you know, uh, on Memphis, there's a big man who some people think is a center, some people think is a power forward, depending on Steven Adams' availability or not. So, you know, there will be some differential in our list here. Mm-hmm. And I am uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, uh, Luke, would you like to start us off with our um, with our honorable mentions, with your right. honor, with your honorable mentions? I got you. Yep. Um, so my first one that I felt was closest to making this list is John Collins. I uh, have always been uh, a big fan of just of just watching him and his play style and things like that. Love him, athletic uh, forward. Um, great on the inside. Uh, historically, uh, has been a good from even outside with a, a really nice promising jumper. Um, but this season, I had to kind of, when I was doing this evaluation here and making this list, I had to knock him down because he had such a such an abysmal year, honestly. I think that in a better situation, he could easily find himself higher on the list. But for now, just based off of recent play, um, which may or may not be, you know, entirely his fault. I'm just going to play it safe and put him as an honorable mention for now. Next one that I have is a guy that I feel you either you either support him or you hate him. And you just have no care for him whatsoever. And that is Draymond Green. I don't know. I've always been a fan of Draymond Green within the Warrior system, at least. I think he plays his role perfectly. Um, great defender inside and out. Doesn't get in the way of the offense understands his role usually you know it's been times where you know you had an argument with kevin durant about the last shot and things like that but overall overall um understands his role 
Bobby Portis. This one was this one was tough because I it was kind of another thing where it's like center or power forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Brook Lopez is there too, obviously. So, but I said, okay, I'll just do power forward. I'll play. It. I'm just gonna say he's a power forward. Um, just a great guy. Another guy who, um, as I said, like with Draymond and other people, just doesn't get in the way of his other teammates like that, uh, and still manages to get his own. Like just a really good all round player. Um, we've seen in the playoffs too how he just locks in and is um, just clutch like that, and the moment isn't too big for him. I mean, that's that's valuable. And for my final uh, power forward honorable mention, I have Denver's own Aaron Gordon. This is a guy that left a kind of crummy and dull situation there in Orlando and got a chance to compete on a contender, which we're watching right now. Uh, and I just, I love his, I love the way he plays basketball. He's developed into a really nice all-round player. Mike Malone, the coach of the Nuggets, has put him as the defender for usually the, the best offensive player in many situations um, so far in the playoffs, which his ability to even take on that responsibility and do well in it is nothing but respect for him for that. Um, he's developed a, a, a pretty nice offensive offensive game outside of just being you know that classic dunker that we know him for like in the dunk contest um but he's not quite on the level of the other people that i have in the top 10 so i put him in the honorable mentions but no disrespect great player uh, is that the uh, is that the last of your guys yep yep that's all i got for honorable mentions. all right yeah so i have quite a few here uh my mentions go to tobias harris uh, a guy who always gets it done, scoring-wise. Um, I'm sure that he will be in plenty of people's top 10s. He doesn't make mine. Uh, just because I don't think that his defensive versatility is quite there. I think he's pretty slow uh, laterally. But, uh, you know, can always score the ball. Always feels like he's incredibly efficient. And maybe that's just a ghost effect because he always plays well against the Celtics. But, uh, mm. you know... I'm, I'm, I like his I like his offensive game a lot. Uh, so he's he's borderline top ten for me. Uh, my second, like you had him as well, uh, John Collins, a supreme athlete, good shot blocker. But outside of shot blocking, he provides absolutely nothing defensively. And you know, he shoots a lot of threes. He's not the best three point shooter. He shot a lot of them against the Celtics and was absolutely abysmal in the Celtics series offensively. So you know. Decent regular season guy. Haven't seen him, you know, up his game in the playoffs. And, you know, honestly, they've only been to the playoffs like two or three times with him. So, you know, he hasn't had a ton of chances. But, you know, he, I thought he that he, that he deserved an honorable mention spot. You know, borderline top 10. Um, My third kind of a questionable honorable mention just because of the season he had. But I have Christian Wood. Uh, obviously, Dallas struggled a lot this year. Uh, and... Everybody thought that Christian Wood was a great pickup by the Mavs uh, to slot Luka next to in the starting lineup. And then Jason Kidd was like, oh, no, he's coming off the bench every single game this season. And I never quite understood that decision. And I think that it showed in Dallas's defensive uh, rating and also just their offensive rating in general. And Luka's, Luka needing help because, you know, a lot of the times Wood was playing without Luka on the floor. Uh it just it just didn't uh, i don't know it didn't really make sense to me but you know he averaged like 16 and 8 so credit to him he does i thought that he deserved an honorable mention uh this one you know a little a little difficult for me you know a lot of people consider him a small forward 
Uh, but this guy is just a veteran presence that played unbelievably well this year on a very young team that made their first playoffs in a long time, and that is Harrison Barnes. Um, he has always been incredibly efficient, uh, you know, a supreme athlete still, uh, plays defense, scores the ball, you know, always makes the right decision because he's a smart player. I love them on the Warriors. Love them on love them on the Kings, especially this Kings team. Uh, I thought that he deserved an honorable mention. Uh, next is Kyle Kuzma. You know, good score. Doesn't really play defense. Good score. Blocks a shot a game. Uh, you know, and gets a lot of gets a lot of opportunities because he's on a pretty abysmal ro- Wizards roster. But you know, played well enough this year to get an honorable mention from me. Uh, next is Aaron Gordon, one of the best defensive players in the entire association. Uh, does everything right for the Nuggets. He's the perfect piece next to Jokic at the four, and uh, you know you don't you don't you don't buy into him for his shooting or his scoring. You buy into him for his defense and him making the right play. And then uh, I have a rookie here. Didn't do anything too flashy this year. Wasn't uh, you know blowing me away with his off the dribble scoring or his uh, you know supreme defense. But he was one of the best three point shooters in the NBA. I got Keegan Murray here. Uh, just, just you know, just a shout out to him. One of the best standstill uh, catch and shoot three point shooters we've seen, I think, in like the last like ten years, percentage wise. And you know, he plays defense. He facilitates. You know, very smart for a rookie. Uh, we saw it in the summer league. Saw flashes of it. I think he won summer league player of the year actually. And you know, it showed when he was healthy uh, down the stretch. He played well. He didn't see a lot of time in the playoffs, which I was a little bit confused about. But, uh, yeah, you know, he, he played well this year. I thought he deserved an honorable mention as well. Uh, do you want to start with your number 10, Luke? Sure. Number 10, this is actually a guy that was in your pool of honorable mentions. Uh, I kind of went back and forth with people in the honorable mentions in this number 10 spot, but solidified here, I have Christian Wood there. Okay. Number 10. Okay. Yep. I think that Christian Wood is easily one of the best offensive big men uh, in the league right now whether you want to slot him at the power forward or center. Um, obviously, I think the biggest thing that holds him back, uh, besides Jason Kidd having on the bench, like you said, which I think I'm right with you, never really understood from day one. But the other, the biggest thing that he personally um, kind of holds himself back from is that, that defensive impact. He, at times, is just just a, like, just a complete joke of a defender in the paint and it, it's hard to watch he just gets blown by um just gets bad fouls doesn't position himself well physically um but even still i mean i don't know that the offensive impact that he can have um to me keeps him valuable enough to be in that top 10 slotted at number 10 for me in power forwards yeah you know i don't i don't disagree uh i'm not as high on christian wood just because of this year, but, uh, you know, uh, audible mention, you know, means he's, you know, borderline top 10 for me, so I understand uh, fitting him in the top 10. I also have a guy at the top, at, at uh, number 10, that was in your honorable mentions. A lot of people are going to disagree. He brings a lot of antics to the game, a lot of extra stuff, but he's a jack-of-all-trades, the best defensive anchor, anchor in the league for the last five years. I have Draymond Green at number 10. Uh, averages, you know, 8.5 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists, gets a block, a game and a steal a game and again he has been the best defensive anchor in the league for the last five or six years the entire warriors dynasty 
uh, I mean, he's unbelievable to watch. The communication, the switching, the pressure he applies. Uh, and he's unbelievably strong for his height. They put him on usually the best player and usually the biggest player every single game. And he provides an incredible amount of versatility on that end of the floor. And I think that regardless of all the antics, the extra stuff, the hard fouls, uh, whatever people want to say about him, I think that he deserves a spot in the top 10. That's fair. I like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I uh, no disagreement there. Uh, his impact can't be understated on that team. Uh, he does a great job doing whatever the team asks him to do. He he never he never shies away from a defense assignment. Uh, in fact, he embraces those moments. So I am uh, totally respect that pick, hundred percent. For me at number nine, I have a guy that um, potentially you've seen you've seen a lot to, uh, just based on where you reside, and that is Jeremy Grant. Mm. Love this guy. Um, start to kind of see him blossom into the player we see him now to be today uh, over in Denver. Just a nice all-around game. Um, like, nothing nothing too flashy. He's not going to blow you away, you know. He's not going to be like this, this box office guy, in my opinion. But uh, in terms of just, like, quality of a player, I, I love him. Um, he's just a really just good, balanced, all-around player um, who I think is a very nice piece that you could put around some of the top guys on a contending team. Yeah, you know, Jeremy Grant was a tough one for me. I looked at him quite a few times, if I'm being honest with you. He averaged 20 and 5 on pretty good efficiency. I mean, he shot 47.5 from the field, 40% from 3. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. He did not find a spot on my list because it's hard for me to consider him a power forward. I see him as a small forward. Uh, for okay. most of his career, he's played small forward, but this year he did kind of play the small ball four for the Blazers. Um, but, you know, I, I had him as a small forward. So that's kind of what I said. You know, the disclaimers were, you know, the difference in our list based on where we see them at, right? What, which position we see them at. But what I will say is for a round two pick that late in the draft at pick 39 round two, he's been an unbelievable player. Mm -hmm. And he provides defensive versatility as well. So, you know, shout out to the uh, second round picks uh, in the league showing out. At my number nine, uh, you know, we both see a lot of this guy because we play him four times a year each. I have Evan Mobley. Uh, you know, average 16 a game, nine rebounds, one block, one steal, 55% from the field. Uh, you know, all that's nice. My two knocks on him are he shoots 20% from three and only 67% from the foul line. And for a guy who seems to make just about every mid-range jumper he takes, uh, 67 from the foul line is absolutely unacceptable. Um, mm. Ever since high school, he's had a legitimate jumper, mid-range jumper. Uh, he shot the three a little more in high school. But, uh, you know, he needs to figure the foul, the foul shots out, right? You can't have a guy in your starting lineup play late in the game who can't shoot free throws. Uh, it's just not not how it can't have it in today's NBA where there's so much fouling. Um, but, yeah, you know, supreme athlete, long, lengthy, athletic, can jump, uh, you know, plays defense. The You know, people were expecting a bigger jump from him this year. I think people were expecting, you know, a 20 and 10 guy. Uh 
because of how good his rookie year was, which I get. Uh, he quote unquote underperformed, but in his second year, you know, 16 and nine, a block and a steal, playing alongside Jarrett Allen in the starting five. I think that's pretty impressive. You know, Jarrett Allen, I think, made both of our top tens, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah. So you know, that's that's tough to do, and I think that he played really well this year, uh, despite the three point shooting struggles. Uh, but yeah, I thought he deserved a spot in the top ten at number nine. Okay. Um, no, yeah. Um, love that pick there. Love, love Mobley. Um, you bring up his inefficiencies there, like on the line, things like that. And that's definitely fair criticism. Uh, I agree with you there. Uh, but just as a player, I, I, and at his position where he is, I definitely do like physically where he is, um, at his position. Definitely like a nice modern power forward. So Cleveland has a good one over there with Evan Mobley for sure. Yep. And I'm I'm confident that he could develop that free throw as as his career continues. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, he has plenty of time. Oh yeah, he's he's really young. Uh, for me at number eight, it's a it's a bold one I think for maybe a lot of people. Uh, he has after this season become definitely my favorite power forward to watch in the league, and that is Orlando Magic's Paolo Banquero. I. Loved what I saw from him uh, overall in the season. Obviously, there's been times where you can question his, you know, uh, his efficiency out there. I think that kind of comes with just being a rookie and kind of the situation where he's where he's at, uh, in. And there's not really a lot of criticism on, you know, the shots that he's taking. Yeah. Because yeah. of the situation. It's not like they're playing competitive basketball. So not really a lot of penalties going around for uh, taking, you know, maybe a an ill-advised, you know, fade away three in the fourth quarter when they're down, you know, 14 points with three minutes to go, like something like that. Like, um, but he's just a really good all-around player. Uh, and that's something with, for me, that, you know, not always being so keen on college basketball, when these rookies come in and just start putting down uh, the games that they do, it's like, wow, because I, I didn't know what they were doing until you know, they came to the league for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously, I saw more because, you know, how highly touted he is. But it's just—it's really impressive. I, I just really think that he's going to, as the years progress, become one of the best power forwards in the league. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you know, he's not. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Duke guy, so I'm very high on Paolo. Uh, He—I will say—he is on my list, but he is not at number eight. Uh, I have him a little bit higher than number eight. Uh, but yeah, tremendous score. You know, the defense is a question mark still. Uh, but I don't think that it's a lack of effort, uh, a lack of, you know, athleticism or talent because he can move and he can jump. I really just mm -hmm. think that it's him, uh, you know, making the effort to play good defense. And I think that he could be a lockdown guy, you know, a guy that they put on the team's best player, regardless of position, just because of his athleticism and his speed, right? You don't score 20 points per game on mostly jumpers if you're slow. You don't. That's, that's mm -hmm. not how that works. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree with the pick. At number eight, my eight, I have another younger guy. Um, people considered it another kind of disappointing down year, expecting a bigger jump. But the entire roster itself was disappointing. Uh, I have Scotty Barnes here. Mm. 16 points a game, seven rebounds, five assists, a block and a steal, 45% from the field. Uh, outside of his offense, you know, he only shoots 45% from the field as a, you know, power forward, a bigger dude who mostly shoots inside jumpers, hook shots, uh, whatever you want to say. Uh, he's maybe the most 
he's a top five most versatile defender in the NBA. A legitimate switch one through five guy. Uh, and there's no question about it, right? He's big, he's strong, and man, can he move. I mean, that was the why he was picked so highly in the, in, uh, the draft two years ago. Because they saw the defensive versatility, right? People thought that he could be a generational talent on defense. I absolutely think that he can still be a generational talent on defense. I think he's one of the best defenders in the NBA uh, right now. Uh, you know, he flew, you know, you fly under the radar in Toronto just because the organization is just so mediocre right now, uh, which happens, right? There's no, there's no media buzz about Toronto at all whatsoever. I mean, outside of highlights with, uh, Scott Van Pelt on Center every now and then, I don't think I heard a single thing about the Raptors the entire year outside of, you know, OG Ananobi trade rumors. But, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, flying under the radar, I think that Scotty Barnes, uh, deserved the eighth spot on, uh, this top 10 power forwards list for me. Yeah, um, that's someone that honestly, thinking back throughout the season, like you said, and now doing this list, it's someone that I, I, for whatever reason, I just, well, I shouldn't say whatever reason, but I just wasn't really thinking of, to be honest with you. Uh, he came out of his rookie campaign, obviously, everyone, like, wow, just surprised at how just great he was in that rookie year. And he definitely, he definitely kind of came down a little bit um, in terms of production-wise. Uh, this season, but no, uh, a legitimate, a legitimate uh, pick to have there. Great player. I think he's going to bounce back next year. Um, yet again, I don't want to. I don't want to hold um, any sort of lack of production against him just yet. This from based on his season, just because of the uh, sort of. I don't know how you want to put it. There's just a lot of moving parts over there in Toronto, and uh, once he gets cemented back in a in a situation, hopefully still in Toronto, where things are just running a little bit smoother, I think you'll see him play a lot more like that rookie year, if not better. Right, yeah. Um, we are now on number seven, right? Yep. yep, okay. So, number seven, I have something you brought up before. Um, that is Cleveland's Evan Mobley. This is a guy that, I said before, I just think is like a very, just a very prototypical version of the NBA's power forward, a guy that can guard multiple positions really fast. And although he kind of, kind of flopped this year um, from three, like you brought before, definitely shows the signs of being able to, to shoot uh, the three. And that we just spoke about too, when we we're talking about him, like you said, not the best free throw shooter, definitely um, something that he needs to kind of improve on as, as he progresses. Uh, like we said, though, I think there's more enough time for him to fix that. But even with all that criticism, I still think he's just one of the best power forwards in the league. Um, his defense is insane. I mean, at, like guarding the perimeter on the inside, just all around, just really good. Uh, just a great team defender. Um, and that's why I got him at number seven. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the pick. He's He's in my top ten as well, just at number nine. So two spots below, but, you know. One of the most versatile defenders in the NBA. It's hard to not put him on the list. Uh, at my number seven, I have a guy you had earlier. I have Paolo Bancaro. Uh, you know, 20 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists, 42% from the field, 30% from three. And he uh, got a steal a game. You know, again, he's a rookie, right? So part of this placement on the list is kind of just like me obviously being a Duke guy, but also just the upside and potential he has is through the freaking roof. 
This was one of the best rookie seasons we've seen in a while. Uh, and he played a lot of games, too. So, you know, I think that the performance is obviously boosted because he's on the Magic, right? We talked about it not playing necessarily a competitive brand of basketball. But he's also playing alongside a bunch of young guys who want the same opportunity he has and have the same opportunity he has to really showcase their skill set because there's a lot of shots to go around right there's a lot of shots there's not one superstar on the team taking up all the shots or two superstars taking up all the shots and then they just kind of have to find the other guys no everybody right. gets a lot of shots uh unfortunately for them you know Jalen Suggs deals has been dealing with some injuries but uh you know I think not only does Paolo have a chance to be a really good player but I think the Magic have a really good chance to be a good team in a few years if they keep everybody together uh, you know, I think that Paolo and Wendell in the front court can be a really good mix. You know, both guys from Duke, so I love to see it. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Paolo Bancaro, great rookie year. A clear clear choice for rookie of the year by far. Uh, that's, at oh, least yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. Yeah, no, I just a great rookie campaign. Uh, the fact that that's where he that's how he played on in his first year, his rookie year is, is crazy. I mean, that's that's his floor at this point. Um, so yeah, no, great pick there. Obviously I brought him up before. I, I love him. Love him. And like you said, um, looks like Orlando's really starting to get their pieces together now. And I think they could, uh, like you said, the next few seasons, hopefully make a, have a legitimate chance at making a playoff run. Yeah. Um, so exciting things over there for Orlando. Good for, for sure. them. Uh, number six, this guy's, um, but someone we've talked about, uh, recently on our podcast. Um, and honestly, more so, more so criticism than positive things to say, but that is the New York Knicks, Julius Randle. Um, even though there's a lot of criticism to go around with him, especially uh, in the playoffs, that's where a lot of his criticism is focused on. He is undoubtedly a great regular season player who definitely led the charge with Brunson and getting the Knicks in the playoffs, and even years before that, leading the Knicks into the playoffs. Um, now, obviously, if you want to factor in playoffs uh, a little bit more into your into where you rank uh, your players just in general, then I, I could definitely see why you would have him lower because he definitely has come up short more times than not. Um, but still, like just thinking about his impact and what he brings to the table for a team in the regular season to get them to the playoffs. Um, I mean, he just collects points all across the field, whether it be down low, because he's just a great, great paint player when he's on. Um, he's really polished up his jump shot. Great score, obviously. Gets his rebounds. He's athletic, you know, he, he has an inside presence when he applies himself down there. So just a really good all-around power forward. Uh, one of the best when when it's kind of just like, you know, in a regular season, a regular season uh, type game. Yeah, and you, you see that fall off in the playoffs, and that's where I think, honestly, my biggest criticism would, would probably right. come from. Yeah. Um, but I still think he's good enough to be at number six. Yeah, uh, you know, I actually have him higher on my list than number six. My number six is going to be Lowry Markkinen. But, you know, yeah, Julius Randle, obviously, playoffs, he, he falls off a little bit. Uh, you know, was coming back from an injury, so I cut him, like, a tiny bit of slack. But, you know, you got to show up. And that was a winnable series for them. Uh, if he would have played well, I think that they would have won. More. They would. They might have won that series. So, uh, but yeah, uh, my number six, like I said, I have Lowry Markkinen. 
Uh, 25 points a game, 8 rebounds. Ridiculously efficient. I mean, the guy is one of the best shooters in the NBA. He shoots 50% from the field, nearly 40%, 39% from 3, and 87% from the foul line. Uh, you know, another guy who really showed off his defensive versatility and athleticism this year, right? By switching on to guards. I mean, the guy can jump and he's fast in the open court. He has a handle. You know, I was really high on him coming out of Arizona. I mean, you know, to think about the fact that DeAndre Ayton and him played together in that Arizona front court and they didn't win a title seems ridiculous to me. But, uh, you know, it, it was a showcase year for Larry Markkinen. Um, the Jazz were not expected to be good. They were expected to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. And they were nearly a play-in team. And, I mean, on top of that, okay, we need to, we'll, have a, we'll have an episode actually probably where a segment is dedicated to Danny Ainge. But what a job by Danny Ainge in his first year. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, we'll have to make that a segment. We'll have to talk about what the Jazz did. But, uh, yeah, Lowry Marketing, unbelievable year. Uh, number six on my list. I, I think that he's a pretty clear choice for, you know, top six, top five power forwards in the NBA this year. Yeah, um, had had a great season. Uh, like you said, led by, led by Ainge, which just, Beautiful, like a beautiful coaching job, honestly. Um, coaching the uh, coach of the year, hundred uh, percent in my head, hundred um, percent. What he was able to just deliver in terms of the product on the floor with what he was given is something that I think all coaches, no matter what level it is, would aspire to be able to do. Um, and and marketing played a huge part in that. Yeah, uh, quite possibly the biggest part in that. I mean just exploded so definitely respect that pick there um he's someone that i i he's another guy i just have a really hard time identifying his position um thinking about it now if if i were to look like if i were to solidify him as a power forward um oh do you have him as a small I would, forward i see i i really i just i don't know like i i don't know where to put him see that's the thing he played small forward in cleveland just a season before I, I don't know where I don't know where to slot him. Um, but if I'm gonna solidify him as power forward, I know exactly where I'd put him. Archaic? Which I think I'll get to. Um I won't do quite yet though. But no, I mean hundred percent in this in this if you're putting him at power forward, which makes it does make sense. Um one of the one of the best power forwards we've seen uh this season. Hundred yeah, percent. So love that. Yeah, pick. for me, I mean, you know, five out of his six years in the nba he's played either power forward or center and i mean he's seven feet tall so no yeah no he's yeah, he's huge i yeah. mean he he should be he should be power forward or yeah. center um 100 um that's the thing I, i'm confused because he's played small forward and power forward and center i he's one of those guys where he's one of those hybrid guys you know where it's really hard to just flag down a position Similar to like someone for me, like like Steph Curry. Like I don't see him as a point guard or a shooting guard. Um, so it should be interesting where I put him. Speaking of like people like that, I don't know. Just the position. It's, yeah. I mean that's the thing. The league has become really positionless. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, that's kind of yeah. Um, yeah, I have to have conversations with people about that all the time. Yeah. Um. So for me, moving on to number five, this is a guy that you had. This is kind of um, actually a great a great segue because we were just talking about it right now. Um, where we don't have the same people because we don't perceive them being in the same position. Right. And that is Christoph Sperzingis. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's in the center of Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
he is when he is on when he's healthy um especially he is one of the best players in the game uh especially on the offensive side 100 percent. i mean his shooting at his position is is like god tier um i don't think i like when people are like when just if everyone's playing at like full health and everything like that I don't think I've ever seen a big man be able to shoot the ball the way he does like that from just all around the field. Like, just crazy. He shoots it so effort, uh, effortlessly and so smooth as if he's, like, you know, like a guard. Um, I just, I I don't know. I think he is, even though people might be, like, you know, oh, like, empty stats playing, you know, Washington, whatever. I still think, I still think that it translates, especially when you look at him historically where he's played in, you know, better teams better situations with bigger stakes um no just a great just a great all-around power forward i was finally able to like i said last podcast watch him in person and it is just insane to see what he's able to do because even though he's also known for you know his shooting ability which is crazy given the size that's a thing he's huge so he's down you know, there when he, he gets is down on the box he's not scared being. i was courtside for a Knicks Blazers games, uh, Knicks Blazers game in his rookie year, the guy is unbelievably huge. huge. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some... Yeah, and I was right there, like, and you yeah, know, yeah. I, in his rookie, you know, I was a lot smaller as well. You know, I'm like, I'm like six seven now, you know, but uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's he's huge. He's ridiculously massive. Yeah. yeah. You saw him before he really filled out his frame uh too back then in his rookie year yeah. so he's big back then um that's a thing like he dominates that paint too when he's not scared to um but yeah great great power forward and that's why i got him at number five yeah you know what that's fair and one of the guys you had on your centers list i have here uh pascal siakam so you know oh both, yeah, both, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. picks uh kind of uh, representing each other in the centers and power forwards list. But uh, yeah, you know, 24 points a game, eight rebounds, six assists, 48% of the field, 32 from three. Really versatile scorer, can do it inside out. Uh, and also just a versatile defender. Uh, I don't think anybody's really ever like thought of Pascal Siakam as an elite defender, but the combination of length and athleticism is really ridiculous. I think that his frame in terms of length is similar to a younger Giannis. Uh, but obviously now Giannis has put on all the muscle. He just bowls through everybody. Uh, you know, Pascal hasn't done that. But uh, yeah, I mean, the defensive def- defensive versatility with this guy is ridiculous. Uh, and I don't understand why he's not an elite defender. Again, I think it's an effort thing, right? OG Ananobi is an elite defender. Uh, Pascal Siakam could be an elite defender. Scotty Barnes could be a generational defender. If they kept those three guys together and everybody, you know, really committed to it, that team could be impossible to find rhythm against because that's three guys with really good length who are all supremely athletic starting right you go small ball that's tough that's tough to score on um but yeah you know he's he's really efficient uh and you know he he's won a ring right he's a proven star in the nba uh and i think him playing behind guys like demar Derozan and Kawhi leonard for so many years really taught him how to score the ball because, you know, scoring 24 points a game is not easy. And uh, he does it efficiently and every single game. So credit to Pascal Siakam. Uh, he's at my five spot on this list. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, uh, full agreement there. Um, definitely love your your pick there. No disagreement at all whatsoever. Um, so for me here at number four, this is probably the the most drama free guy left on that on that Grizzlies team. And that is Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm. Yep. Um, I think some people might say that it's high, but I don't know. I when when he's healthy, which hasn't been. Um, Hasn't been really a theme in his career. Um, he's looked like one of the best just uh, two-way big men in the league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the way he's able to protect that paint down there. Um, has that potential of depoy in terms of... Uh, yeah, yeah, in his, in his physical prime, I think. Where, whenever that whenever that comes to a, an end, I think maybe we won't see that. But that athleticism... Um, compliments his just good footwork and uh, IQ and I think as long as he stays uh physically just like upkept he should be in that conversation and then offensively just a great all-around game too um solid in the post has a great jump shot um and obviously he's great down low like on the inside oh he'll throw it down on you if you're not if you're not paying attention and guarding him well yeah so I, I feel confident having him there at number four yeah no that's totally fair uh my number four is Julius Randle you had him a little lower, I had him this high. Uh, I didn't really take into account his playoff, uh, you know, disappearance. He averaged 25 and 10 with four assists a game, 46 from the field and 34 from three. Uh, you know, an efficient score and he get he rebounds the ball, right? You can rely on him in the regular season for 25 plus every game and 10 plus rebounds every game. Uh, you know, uh, he's a triple double threat as well. Uh, He's just really, he's just really talented with the ball in his hands. Unfortunately, he's not so talented in the playoffs, right? That's the fall off. That's the risk. But I think that he had a good enough regular season for me to put him up there. And I also, you know, attribute a lot of the Knicks' success this year to Randall. Uh, again, you know, that Knicks team a couple years ago when they got smoked by the Hawks, they got embarrassed by the Hawks. That team in the regular season was so fun to watch. They were exciting. They were young. You know, Alec mm -hmm. Burks and Derrick Rose were two features of that team, right? Two veterans. Derrick Rose, a fan favorite, obviously. And Julius Randle kind of at the helm of it, right? The star on the team, again, had a bad playoff perf performance. But, you know, he was the leader uh, offensively for that team. Uh, so, and again, Jalen Brunson was the leader this year kind of offensively. But, you know, Julius Randle's right there with 25 and 10. Uh, he takes the number four spot for me. Okay, no, um, higher than like than I had him, obviously, but it's definitely a pick that uh, I'm I'm definitely not upset over. Um, like I said before, you can't understate his his impact that he's had historically for the next regular season. So I mean, I definitely understand that. I mean, without him, they are a far less competitive team. Um, so I definitely understand that pick. Uh, totally respect it. For me, um, now we're at number three. Before I get to my number three, I'll just say that. Um, had I had Markinen like here listed for the power forwards, I would slot him in in between my number three and Jaron. So he'd be like my number four, I'll say. And then you bump everyone else down. Obviously, Christian Wood's ten, so he'd be right. He'd, be, yeah. he'd become an honorable mention. So that's where I'd make that adjustment. Um, so number three now, um, I have Jason Tatum. Now this is a guy that. Um, I have to I have to really work hard to not let you know recency bias get in the way, but I still think this is a very fair place to uh, to put him. Um, 
obviously in the regular season, uh, especially especially Jesus this year, uh, MVP candidate. I mean, he was just crazy. I mean, I I think he led the league in points scored, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just a great all-around player. Like defensively, he could he could guard a lot of positions with his physicality and like just strong and really fast obviously i mean you see it he's just an athletic freak combined with the the scoring skills um and the, which are some of the best in the league right now um obviously i'd like to see him play better in the the playoffs but i'm not gonna hold that against him in terms of where i rank him here so i'm gonna have him comfortably here at number three yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, my number three is a guy you had earlier. Uh, I got the depoy, Jaron Jackson Jr. 18.5 points a game, 7 rebounds, 3 blocks a game, 50% from the field, 35 from 3, and obviously, again, the Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, 3 blocks per game is ridiculous. That's prime Rudy Gobert numbers. Um, and yeah, again, another guy, the defensive versatility, unlike Rudy Gobert, is incredible because he can move laterally. He doesn't look awkward out on the perimeter. He looks, he doesn't look, and I'm not going to sit here and say he looks incredibly comfortable, but it's not awkward, right? He can switch and, you know, get a stop. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, the, the stats aren't anything crazy, flashy scoring wise, rebounds wise. I would like to see him, you know, be an 18 and 10 guy rather than 18 and 7, but three blocks a game, uh, you know, versatility on defense and again he won the depoy i think that's enough to put put him at number three for me and obviously you know we're gonna see some stuff here where we consider different people positions right but uh yeah 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 i have john jackson jr at number three no yeah um yeah nothing nothing but uh agreement on that like i said before i pretty much hit the same hit the same boxes that you did uh in terms of evaluating him yeah no great great player um i'm rooting for his health because He's such a fun player to watch when he's healthy. Um, I really hope that in the future, um, Jaron can kind of become that leader in that clubhouse and try to try to galvanize that squad and just have them focus on on basketball. You know. Um, so now moving along to number two, this is a guy that uh, I think some people might have at small forward, and I understand that. Um, but based on how I've seen him kind of played recently, I'm going to have him at the power forward, and that is. Kevin Durant at number two. Um, I don't really think Kevin Durant needs much of an introduction at this stage of his career. I think everyone's pretty um, pretty aware of what he brings to a team. Um, obviously, always going to be one of the best scorers in the league, I think, till the day he retires. He'll always find his own. Pretty much seven foot. Can score from anywhere. Um, yeah, like I said, he really doesn't need any, any sort of... Uh, evaluation as a player i think everyone knows what he's capable of and i got him at number two yeah i mean yeah my number two is kevin durant uh one of the one of the greatest scorers all time if not the best scorer all time i don't think we've ever seen anybody at his size do what he can do on the basketball floor uh and this year particularly he averaged one and a half blocks per game so the defense was there uh, the most efficient score in the NBA this year, 56% from the field, 40% from three, 91% from the line. That is a high 50s, 50-40-90 season. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, I've, I've always been a Kate, Kevin Durant defender in terms of his decision to go to the Warriors. I've never understood the criticism there, leaving, you know, leaving the Thunder, blah, 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 blah. 
I've always been a guy who's thought about it in a in a more positive light, which is why would you not leave to go win a ring? Isn't that what the goal is for everybody is to win rings, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand that people want a paycheck and all this stuff, but what's the criticism? What's the point? He left to join two of the greatest shooters because he wanted to win championships. Who doesn't want to win championships? That's what you dream of as a little kid. You don't dream of just making the NBA and being really good. You dream of making the NBA, being one of the best players, and being the best one of the best players ever, and winning championships. That's what you have to do. I don't understand it. I've never understood the criticism. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go too far into that. KD, 30 points a game, seven rebounds, five assists, one and a half blocks, the most efficient player in the league this year. Uh, number two on my power forward spot. Yep, that's. I think that's. Um, we're at that point now here in the one-two slot where it becomes. I don't want to say that it's not debatable, but it's. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty clear who our picks are going to be. Um, yeah, no, like you said, um, just an amazing player, all-time player, no, no question. And just a little, little touch on what you were talking about there with the decision. No, I'm, I'm right with you on that. I don't, I've never really understood the why some people are so like just. It's like pure hatred towards him over that decision. Like, because some people will bring up the argument like, oh, it's the fact that he went to the team that he lost to. So you're telling me if they never matched up that that postseason for whatever reason, and then he went there that you'd feel so much better about it? I, I just don't buy it. I just think it's a, a dumb cop-out excuse to just being mad at him for no reason. Um, I think a lot of people hate on him. And it, it, even in rankings, we'll kind of let that hate trickle on him. And they'll rank him lower because of that decision. That was like 2016. I think it's time to to move on. Um, and speaking of moving on, number one, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think I think we all saw that coming. Um, I think a lot of people would say that he's the best player in the world. I wouldn't I wouldn't make an argument against it. I personally have Jokic there as my number one, but Giannis is right there. I'm not going to take that from him. Um, obviously, what he brings to Milwaukee is is just insane. I mean, I, I I forget, I don't know if it was you, but someone told me that the Milwaukee roster could be a playoff team even without him, and that, that's a compliment to our death. But even still, even still, that what he brings to that team, though, to an already competitive team, is just, it's insane. Um, his defense, which I think kind of flies under the radar at times just because of how, how much fun it is to watch him just, you know, dunking on people in transition and stuff like that is is kind of incomparable to a lot of a lot of his counterparts that we see in this list i mean his ability in transition to get back and hop on anybody and guard them um in a in a half court set no matter what's thrown at him no matter what position what player he he plays he could play great defense on him and then on offense who was stopping that guy i mean he is an absolute just like freak train just running down to the paint no one's stopping him He's one of the fastest players in the league, also being one of the biggest players in the league. I mean, that 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 combo is something we haven't really seen since like someone like Shaquille O'Neal, uh, which I know he likes comparing himself to. I mean, yeah, a very safe pick at one, obviously. I think there won't be any disagreement there. Amazing player, tremendous player. Uh, we're blessed to be able to witness him here in our, our lifetimes. Yeah, my number one is also Giannis. I, you know, you gave the best explanation possible, so I'm not even gonna explain the pick. 
But uh, I'll just say this. He was my pick for MVP this year. I think he's been the best and the most dominant player in the league the last four or five years. Uh, you know, people will have their different opinions, and I'm not going to, you know, poop on anybody's opinion. Uh, we, actually, you know what? I will poop on some people's opinion. Some people are really stupid sometimes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> true. I think that he's been the best player, the most dominant player for the last four or five years. Uh, I think, again, if the Bucks play the Heat uh, with him healthy every game, they beat them in four or five. I think this playoffs looks a whole lot different. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, credit to the Heat, but yeah, I mean, they got they got lucky. I'm sorry, they got lucky. They got lucky to make it past the first round. Uh, but obviously they played incredible the last two rounds, so no diss there. Just the first round in particular, I think they got a hall pass. But yeah, Giannis is my number one pick at power forward. And I think that's gonna do it for today's episode. We're at an hour and 12 minutes. So this will be our new longest episode uh you know last episode was our longest we broke another record today so uh, I'm, I'm you know glad to, glad to hear it yeah uh you know next episode yeah. uh you, you know both game fours will have happened for the nuggets and lakers and the celtics and heat so we will see if we have an elimination episode uh you know, again uh you know top 10 list for for small forward uh will be there you know we'll see some different uh positional players you know different players in different num number positions because again we have some different uh, opinions but uh i think it'll be a lot of fun we'll talk about the coaching uh exploration for the milwaukee bucks because i just saw a few minutes ago on twitter they've narrowed the list down to three guys nick nurse mike Budenholzer, and another toronto coach and assistant uh adrian griffin so we'll have some good conversations about that yeah sounds like a plan can't wait for yeah. it all right guys have a good rest of your day peace out